Well, good morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. We will be looking at verses 1 through 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. We are in the midst of a sermon series on the order of salvation. Now, the order of salvation is a way that we talk about how redemption is applied to the life of a believer. You see, redemption has been accomplished in history by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He said on the cross, it is finished. His work is complete. It is done. But it must be applied to the life of each and every one of us that we might believe. Last week, we began this series speaking of election. Pastor Ron talked about how God chooses to save before the very foundations of the earth. The next step in this process is what we call effectual call, which is the internal call of God through the preaching of His Word. As His Word goes forth, the Holy Spirit causes it to have an effect on our hearts. And this morning, we will talk about that effect, which we call regeneration. That is, the new birth. So if you would turn your attention to Ephesians chapter 2 verses, I'm going to go all the way to 10 just because they're so good. And we'll see the work of the Spirit to cause those who are dead to come alive again. Hear now the Word of God. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and we ask that by your grace you would send forth your Spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make the preaching of your Word effectual. That it would have the effect of causing us to go from death to life. And that light would shine into the darkness. 
that we might see for the first time and follow You. And we pray it all in Christ's holy name. Amen. Have you ever been trapped before? I hate that feeling of being closed in and unable to move. The feeling like you're unable to free yourself. The walls are closing in on you. And if someone doesn't come and help, you will be stuck forever. A few years back, Judah and I went to a fire station for a Cub Scout badge requirement. And one of the things we learned, which I had not known up until this point, is that if you are trapped in a fire, if there's no way to get out of the house, right, you cannot get out, then the best thing to do is to close the door to the room from where it's on fire, put a towel or a blanket under the door so that smoke gets, uh, cannot get in, and wait for the fire department to come and to save you. Apparently, the protection will keep you safe until the firemen arrive to rescue you. In the room where the fire is, it can get up to 2,000 degrees, but if you do this, the temperature can stay around 100 degrees. Now, I'm sure that's good advice. It was a fireman that gave it to us. But the idea of being trapped with the fire raging in the room next door to you is not pleasant. The idea that I would have to trust somebody else to come and save me from being trapped in a burning house does not appeal to me. I mean, I hate asking for help when I'm trapped under the barbell at the gym, right? little help here. But trusting that someone would save my life? I'm not real comfortable with that arrangement. Nevertheless, in life we get ourselves trapped. We need help. When we're toddlers, we get our heads stuck in the banister in a chair. The other day, some kid got his knee stuck in the playground that's behind my office window and just was yelling for like a half an hour, I think. When we're older, we get stuck up in trees. When we're adults, we get stuck in other ways. Trapped in debt or in a job. Trapped in patterns of behavior. We get trapped in an identity. Trapped in relationships. We get trapped in sin. To be trapped is to be stuck with no hope of escape unless someone comes to your rescue. This morning we come to the doctrine of regeneration. And regeneration means to be born again. In John chapter 3, Jesus tells us, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To come into the kingdom of God, to receive the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must be born again. In our passage for this morning, what we will come to see is the reason, the cause, and the results of being born again. We will see that by our sin we have been trapped in the grip of death, but by the grace of God in Christ Jesus we have been made alive again to the glory of His rescuing grace. That is, we will see that we are like one who is trapped in a burning building with no hope of escape until our Lord Jesus Christ comes and rescues us from the flame. 
in verses 1 and 2 of our text, we are given our situation. Look down and see what it says there. Again, it says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is our situation before Christ. Dead in sins. When Adam sinned, death entered into this world and spread to all of his children. Like a genetic disease that is inevitably passed from one generation to the next, sin has expressed itself in every single human being since the fall. And the wages of sin, as we know, is death. The Lord warned our father that if he disobeyed, he would bring death into this world. And so every single one of us was born and we live under the reign of death because of sin. Imagine our lives are like a ball tossed up into the air and gravity is like the power of death. We may for a season seem to overcome the effects of sin, but no matter how hard you throw the ball, it will eventually be pulled back down. There is no getting around it. We are trapped by our sin in death. So how are we trapped? What are the bonds that hold us in this prison? Well, first, we are trapped by the course of this world. Look at verse 2. It says, we walked following the course of this world. Paul uses the term walk to speak of the manner of life with reference to motivation. Why you do what you do. And each step that we take is a decision. And each decision is motivated out of a desire. Paul is saying that we used to make decisions in our life based upon the course of this world. That is, we would follow the path that everyone took, which is the path of sin and trespass. You see, we are trapped by the current of this world. The stream is flowing in the direction of sin and we follow that course. There is a riptide that is pulling us out to the sea, which is sin. The decisions that we make in our life are not neutral. The direction of our life, the path that we have chosen, has been the way of sin. Why? Because we are dead in our sin. And dead men don't fight the current. Second, we are trapped by spiritual evil. Look at the second half of verse 2. It says that we were following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You see, we were in the course of this world and we were following the prince of the power of the air. We'll talk about why Paul uses this term in a minute, but essentially Paul is saying that we are under the authority of Satan. When men fell into sin... We gave ourselves over to the authority of the enemy. And now every single human being lives under the rule or in the kingdom of Satan. Like someone who was born in in the Soviet Union, who had to live under the rule and oppression of communism, every single one of us has been born into a world that is ruled by the enemy. We are trapped under his authority. And third... We are trapped by our own sinful hearts. 
We're trapped by the course of this world. We're trapped by the authority of the enemy. And we're trapped by our own desires. Look at verse 3. It says, We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You see, it's not just external forces that keep us trapped in death. Sin has affected every part of the human psychology. This is what Reformed theologians call total depravity. It does not mean that we're as bad as we possibly could be. We could be worse than we are. Rather, it means that sin has affected every part of who we are. Our flesh, our minds, our bodies, and our desires have all, they have totally been affected by sin to such a degree that we cannot free ourselves from its hold. There are no resources within us to free us from sin. We have been totally affected by sin in everything that we are. Why can't we free ourselves? Because sin has made us such that before the Spirit's work, we have no desire to be free from sin. We may not like some of the side effects of sin, but the desire of the flesh and of the mind is sin. And all we all want it. We're completely trapped, both externally and internally, both spiritually and mentally. There is no escape. The enemy is within and without. And therefore, we are all under God's curse of death. Look at the end of verse 3. It says there, the result of being trapped. It says, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Every single human being is born under the curse of God because of our sin. Our enslavement to sin is total and complete. There was never a time when we were free from its effects. From the point of our coming into existence at conception, we have been trapped. We must understand the desperate nature of the situation that all of humanity is born into. No escape. No getting out. We are dead because of sin. Outward sin and inward sin. When Judah and I were at the fire station, we asked the fireman, what was the most memorable run he ever went on? And he proceeded to tell the story of a woman who had run her car head on into the back of a Mack truck filled with gravel. When he arrived on the scene, he thought there was no hope for this woman. She had to be dead because she was smashed under the weight of her car, the weight of the truck, and the weight of the gravel that had spilled out of the truck on top of her car. As you can imagine, I have to squeeze to get in and out of a small car. I hate that cramped feeling of everything pressing in on me. I flew uh, out to Washington this week and I had to sit in an airplane and my knees are like up in my nose. And I hate that being pressed in on every side. That idea of a crushing, unbearable weight. And that is what sin is like. It has buried its victims under its weight. There is no getting out. We are dead in our sin. And therefore, we if we would have spiritual life, 
We must be born again. We must be regenerated. And now in our text come the two most pivotal words in the English language. We were dead, but God. Adam sinned. Therefore, sin passed to all mankind. Therefore, all die. Therefore, the course of the world is death. Therefore, it is the domain of Satan. Therefore, you are trapped by sin. Therefore, you will die under the rule of the dominion of the enemy. And each of us have a list of therefores in our lives. A list of logical connections between our sin and the horrid consequences that followed. You might say, my parents got divorced. Therefore, I have commitment issues. Therefore, I can't trust my wife. Therefore, I'm detached from my family. Therefore, I'm lonely. Therefore, I seek relationships. Therefore, I have an affair. Therefore, I get a divorce. Therefore, my children have commitment issues. On and on and on and on. But God. God interrupts the logical sequence of sin and destruction in our lives. He is the outside force that enters into the closed system and changes the course and direction of life. Though we are dead in our sins, nevertheless, God made us alive in Christ. But why? Why does God intervene in our lives? Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. God intervenes because we are so great. Oh no! That is not what it says. God intervenes because He sees that we have the right heart and we're trying to do the right thing. No, we are following the passions of our flesh. God intervened because we are so intelligent, because we are so well connected, because we can do so much for him. God intervenes and causes us to be reborn because we repent of our sin and because we have faith in Christ. No. God intervenes because he is rich in mercy and love. The origin of God's intervention is located in his heart of love for us, not our heart of love for him. We are trapped in the ironclad connection between the therefore of our sinful lives. But God breaks through because of His great love for us. The Apostle John understood this principle well. He wrote in his first letter, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son To be the propitiation for our sins. God's love and mercy are not stingy. They are rich and full. This is a principle that is very difficult for us to understand. Because we must see something lovely within someone for us to love them. Right? We love coffee because coffee is tasty and has caffeine and wakes us up. We love flowers because they are beautiful. But the origin of God's love for us is not in us. It's in Him. His love for us in Christ is what makes us lovely. Not us, but God. I don't know if you've seen this video on the internet of the man who comes home to find his trash can being raided by one of his dogs. 
There is trash everywhere in his house. Coffee grounds, milk jug, old food, eggshells. And he goes into his living room and two of his dogs are sitting quietly pleading for innocence. Kind of doing one of these things at the third dog. And the third dog comes around the corner with his tail between his legs and the lid of the trash can stuck around his neck. And this is how we stand before God. The guilt of our sin is spread out all over the place. And the evidence is stuck around our necks. There's no way for us to free ourselves from this guilt. We are trapped and we need the love of God to forgive us and free us. And so that we don't miss the point, Paul adds at the end of verse 5, if you look there, it is by grace you have been saved. This is the great doctrine of the Reformation. This is the difference between Christianity and every other religion. Do not miss this point, Christian. Our new birth is not caused by our work nor by our faith. Our new birth, that is, regeneration, is caused by God's grace alone. Now you might ask, but don't we need to respond to the gospel with faith and repentance? Of course, of course we must have faith. But dead men can't have faith. Nor can men trapped in sin repent of that sin. But once the saving grace of new birth is applied to the human heart, our first response is faith in Christ and repentance from sin. Just as a newborn's child, first action is to draw air into her lungs. We are trapped by our sin. Like that lady trapped in her car under the weight of a mat truck filled with gravel. But God is like the fireman who comes to our rescue. We are buried under sin, but He comes to dig us out. One of the neatest tools that firemen carry in their trucks is the jaws of life. They're like huge scissors that can cut through steel. And when this fireman came onto the scene of this accident, he pulled out the jaws of life and he began the job of cutting this woman free from her trap. She could do nothing to save herself. She was the one who put herself in this position. But the firemen came to her rescue. And we cannot save ourselves. There is nothing that a dead man can do to save himself. Lazarus did not call forth himself from the grave. But God has come to rescue us by His grace in Jesus Christ. Now, one of the most important themes that runs through the book of Ephesians is union with Christ. Union with Christ means that God joins us together with Christ in such a way that His journey becomes our journey. His destiny, our destiny. His life of righteousness becomes our life of righteousness. His death on the cross becomes our death. His resurrection from the dead becomes our rising from the dead. And His place of honor at the right hand of God becomes our place of honor, seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. And this is how we are saved. This is how the grace of God is given. We are joined to Christ in a real union of our persons. Look at verses 5-6 through six and see how this understanding 
of union with Christ is applied. It says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, who made us alive? God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. By the grace of God, we have been made alive in Christ. We have been reborn. We have been joined to Him. And though it may seem difficult to imagine, if you are in Christ, you are presently seated with Him in the heavenly realm. It's most common for us to think of our spiritual destiny from a horizontal perspective, right? We look forward into the future or back on the past. The issues of death and sin and eternal life are something that will occur sometime out into the future. But Paul is inviting us to look at salvation from a vertical perspective here. And from this perspective, we can understand better our desperate state and sin and our ultimate freedom in Christ. You see, before Christ, we were dead, living on earth, following the course of this world. We were under the authority of the prince of the power of the air. He is above us. And therefore, we are quite literally under His authority. But God sent His Son down to this earth under the lordship of Satan. He joined Himself to this people and went all the way under the earth. But He then conquered death and the Bible says that He was raised up over the prince of the power of the air and He is now above all rule and authority, free and full of life and salvation. Of course, there is a future aspect to our salvation. But Paul can say, That we have been saved because you have been raised up above the authority of the enemy. You have been freed from the power of death. You have been delivered from your own sinful heart. There is one word that shows up twice in the first few verses of this passage. And I think they are so powerful in our understanding of regeneration. It is the word once. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. The sons of disobedience among whom we once lived. Once. Formally. But no longer. You see, those who are in Christ were once dead. We were once under Satan's rule. We were once under the righteous judgment of God's wrath. We were once trapped. We used to be, but no longer. And I wonder, Christian, do you feel the power of once in your life? That is, do you feel the power of the new birth of regeneration in your life? Are you walking in the freedom and the grace of knowing that you used to be under condemnation? You used to walk like the rest of the world. You once were buried under the weight of sin. But God has intervened. God has caused you to be reborn. He gave you a new heart and you are now alive in Christ, seated with Him far above all rule 
and authority. The lady who was buried under the gravel truck was eventually freed. The fireman said that he had never seen anything like it before. They got her out and immediately rushed her to the hospital. He thought that she would never walk again. But God must have been protecting her for a reason. Because two weeks after this accident, she was up and walking and would make a full recovery. No wonder it was the most memorable of all his runs. Trapped. No hope of life. And she makes a full recovery. He said that he and his partner even received a special award because of their work in saving her. This story is so powerful because it reminds us of our own story and the glory that will be given to God because of the rescue of His people trapped by their own sin. You see, this lady didn't receive an award. There's no award for running your car into the back of a truck. No one said, oh, great glory be to the woman who got herself trapped. No, the glory goes to the one who saves. Look at our final verse. It says in verse 7 that God made us alive with Christ. That is, He caused us to be born again. Why? So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God has accomplished this great salvation so that from generation to generation, the story of His grace and kindness in Christ Jesus would be known and experienced. He accomplished this salvation so that throughout eternity, people would sing of the greatness of Christ and His victory over sin and Satan and death. Not our victory. For there is no victory within us. But God, because of His love for us, saved us. To enter into the kingdom of God, we must be born again. Why? Because apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. But God has come to set us free. To cause us to be born again by His grace alone. We were once dead, but God has made us alive. He has regenerated us, given us new birth that we might live in Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to Him now in prayer. Father God, we come to You now not because... We would come of our own accord or according to our own nature. But because You have called us and Your Spirit has made that call effectual in our hearts, You have caused us to be born again to a living hope even as we proclaimed in our call to worship this morning. You are the cause and not us. So we come now to You as Your children, asking that You would continue this great work in our hearts and calling out to You, pleading to You 
if there is anyone here who does not yet know the new birth, that You would cause Your Word to be effectual in their heart and that those who were once dead may be made alive this day through Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's in His name that we do pray. Amen.